2: I'm Lindsay Levinson. I'm your host here at Illuminating Now, Lindsay's Life Secrets. We are on voiceamerica.com. Thanks for joining. Thanks for tuning in today. And thanks for joining in any other Wednesday at noon, or maybe a different time zone you're in. Or maybe you're just grabbing the show through an archive. But you know what? Anytime that you're making the time, that's a good thing. And I really appreciate that a lot. So a big thank you to all of you who do listen and are listening now today. Today's part one of a two-part series. And wait till you hear who we have on and what he's going to talk about, because it's big stuff. It's about life and changing and leadership. And it's a fantastic guest today, and I really can't wait to introduce him, and I will. But we have some logistics to get through. He is, though, going to walk us through a two-part series this week and next week. So mark your calendars, because this is a journey you're going to want to join in And you're going to want to stay on this with us because it gets kind of deep into the end of next week as well. So we'll want to travel this together. Let me ask you to continue your loyal connection and participation with Facebook. You guys have been great. We usually run threads. We sometimes have questions. We often take your answers and read them on the air. And we tell your name on the air. And I write you on Facebook and tell you, come listen on the air. Your name got read. It's a community we're building, and it's been really fantastic to see it grow, and it's growing fast. Our Twitter address is at sign illuminating now, and my website is qualityforlifecoaching.com. That's four words qualityforlifecoaching.com. Check it out. It's been redone, it's renovated, it's new, it's exciting, it's interactive, it's got a blog, it's got all kinds of good stuff. But I am offering you a free consultation. To talk about anything you might want to, strategize, bounce something off me, anything at all, even if you just wanna talk about good stuff, that's okay too. So let me offer you value or support, whatever it might be that you could use me for. Also, before we introduce our guest, I do wanna take the time to tell you. That The show has grown, and we will continue to say that every week, and I want to make you really aware because guess what? The reason it's grown? You guys. I'm not growing it. You guys are the reason. We're 20,000 plus. This is big stuff. We hit almost 20,000 in five months, and now we're at six months plus, so we're more than that. Take down the address of our guest while we'll talk more about what this is and what this address even means. i like you to take addresses down in the beginning of the show so you can relax a bit. www.tenhopefilms.com. Ten is a number, one zero. Hope is the word hope. Films, the word films with an S on the end, dot com. So Ten Hope Films is all one entity in the middle. Tenhopefilms.com. And also, if you'd like to reach him, you're going to find that his email is Dean, D E A N, at Tenhopefilms.com. So, again, we've, we're building a community of leaders, of interested individuals, learners, people contributing, people participating. Thank you. Check on the web for some new press releases. I have to tout that as well. We have had more than one. And we're talking about the show's growth. We're talking about exciting guests that are coming on. And in fact, this guest today, Dean Adams, he was listed in one of those press releases because he is an exciting guest. He is a leader in affecting world change. And I'm going to tell you that we as a community growing over 20,000, we can affect world change too by listening to a leader and by having interest and maybe contribution. So I'm going to tell you about this man you're about to meet. Dean Adams. Dean Adams is a documentary filmmaker with a committed interest in using film, the stories we tell, right? Film. He is committed to using those to heal the world. So trust me when I tell you that Dean Adams is very unique. He's on a mission to facilitate this growth into heart consciousness. What is heart consciousness? Awareness, empathy, all of the above? We're going to let him tell us. Dean is a cinematographer whose work has been showcased in documentaries for the BBC, ABC News, France 24, Arte Reportage, PBS, and the Discovery Channel. In 2008, he was awarded a Media Excellence Award from the International Association of Broadcasters. His half-hour film was nominated, and this was a prize war for uh, a prize for war correspondence for a half-hour film. So, you know, he's in the limelight. He's doing important things, and he's getting a word for it and noticed. In addition to making his own films, Dean has established himself as a master trainer, running video journalism intensives for the BBC, TV4, Stockholm, and RTL Germany. You know what? It was his filmmaking workshops, though, with refugees and underground Burmese journalists And his contributions to the 2010 Oscar-nominated documentary, Burma Vijay, that opened his eyes to how empowering the nature of documentary filmmaking can really be. And it's been very empowering for him. And again, it's going to be exciting to hear him tell you why and how. In 2012, Dean was recruited as part of the management team tasked with creating the documentary unit at the new KTAR TV. He continues his duties to the channel as deputy editor in chief and senior reporter, launching new series and also directing half hour documentaries. So, I want you to know that Dean has started a grassroots movement, you know, social media and technology intersecting. This is the initiation of this 10 Hope Films. Again, www.10hopefilms.com. Take it down, you're going to want to see that. And Dean's future, which he's going to tell us more about, but I'm going to give you my last little spiel here. His future goal is to create character-driven stories from the trenches of human ingenuity about visionaries who are leading the mantle for change in the environment, education, public health, politics, religion, and science. So that's big stuff, but really kind of small when I sum it up, because listening to Dean, you're going to hear more about the real deal, which is what we really all want. So I'm going to start by saying, Dean, from Arabia, (laughs) you take the time to be on the show and to do a two-part series, and I just want to say thank you so very, very much for being here.
3: Thank you very much, Lindsay. It's a real pleasure, and and I'm so excited to be on your show. Uh, I consider it to be an honor. Thank you.
2: Thank you. Well, we are going to get a lot out of this I'm going to dive right in because you trained veteran activists in Burma to make their own undercover video reports. You consulted a Burmese TV station in Norway to get these stories to the rest of the world. Now, many of the people that you trained spent years in prison. They had endured torture, solitary confinement for the defiance of ruthless military dictatorship, which we all you know, have seen in news in different ways, but a huge protest broke out and it was led by Buddhist monks. So then you covered that with your students. The footage ran around the world. An Oscar-nominated documentary was made about your students using your combined footage. Okay, so like that's not anything you can plan. You cannot plan something like that. How did you end up training these guys? Take me behind the scenes. Take me there.
3: Well, yeah, I certainly didn't foresee it, uh, really, um, Lindsay, Because I I did go to graduate school at Columbia Columbia University in New York and studied journalism. I studied in their graduate program for journalism, and I also uh, took the degree in international affairs. Um, and so I really thought that my work would be at the nexus of human rights, which I focused in, in on in that degree and journalism. And in the journalism school, they wanted us to focus on one of three broad subjects. Basically, either we were going to do long form documentary filmmaking, we were going to do spot news or radio journalism, or we were going to do print reporting. And I chose documentary very naturally. I had always been drawn to documentary. Um, And, you know, when I graduated from Columbia and I left New York City this was at the time of the Bosnian War. This was uh, just after the, the genocide in Rwanda. I really thought that I was headed for Africa with my camera. I was going to do stories. And, and fate turned out to throw me a different, a different set of cards. I ended up in Paris, actually, for two years, working for CNN, following celebrities at the Cannes Film Festival. I didn't quite have the stomach to go to a war zone or to go to really, really difficult reporting situations at that time, because I was a rookie. And I knew I was a rookie, and I didn't feel like putting my life in that much danger or getting eaten alive. And so I kind of felt my way into it. And long story short, I ended up doing a lot of video journalism trainings, uh, some of them for the BBC, and other European television stations where I, I taught them how to do what I was doing. One-man band type journalism. You, you go out alone or perhaps with one other person in the field and you film all of your material, you run your own interviews, you do your own sound, your own lighting. But you can do it with one person uh, if, if you just have the camera and the mic and it's very intimate that way. And that was my passion. I discovered that I really could get to the bottom of, and to the soul of a problem if, if if I was alone with the interview subject. So um, eventually, through doing these trainings and also doing a lot of uh, work for ABC and uh, ABC News and reality TV programming, highbrow reality TV programming where we would do mm-hmm. eight episodes or seven episodes on the New York City Police, for example, I looked into the crystal ball and I said, you know what, I, I want to go and do the foreign correspondent thing that I had always dreamed of. So I left for Thailand, uh, where, uh, where I had lived before. I had taught Buddhist monks. Um, I had taught them English for a year.
2: Wow. And,
3: wow. and that's where I met the, the, the Burma Vijays. I met this incredible group of, of men, and, and there were a few women in the group at the start as well, and had the opportunity to train them in making their own stories undercover using very tiny cameras, very tiny handheld cameras, showing them how to really maximize use of those cameras and shortcuts that they could employ while filming undercover back in Burma. And since Burma is right next to Thailand, they smuggled over illegally across the border to safe houses on the Thai-Burma border in order for me to run these trainings with them. And, uh, and, and I rem- I'll never forget, I had a, a rental motorcycle, and I would zip from one house to another safe house to another safe house. There were three safe houses in the first round of trainings, because none of these cells, uh, three to four journalists each, could know who each other was in case when they went back to their country, they were imprisoned and tortured, and under duress of torture, they would reveal more names in the group and, and then bring the operation down. So it was you know, an incredible honor and a learning to see their passion, to see their thirst, their hunger for democracy, and to, to actually be instrumental in giving them some of the tools, empowering them with visual storytelling so that they could, uh, they could try best they could against the odds to bring light to a very oppressive dictatorship that had been running for some 45 years at that time. So, so that's how it happened. And then five months later, there we were on the streets. There was a huge, uh, a huge protest movement that erupted. And hundreds of thousands of Buddhist monks marching barefoot with their alms bowls turned upside down as if to say to the military, we don't want you to even give us food. Um, and the people lining up around them, their, their arms interlocked to protect the monks who were walking in the searing heat and then later on in the monsoon rains. Well, when it got to crackdown phase, uh, the military were lining up their tanks. Uh, I was there with my students. I was one of the few Western journalists who managed to beg and plead and pretend that I was a tourist enough to smuggle in gear.
2: Oh, my gosh.
3: Yeah, it was intense. It was really intense, and, and I was quite certain... At several points during that mission, that that I would leave my life on the streets with with these courageous protesters, um, and I and I was there, just knees trembling. You know, just first time war reporter, war correspondent, first time undercover activist, giving money to these underground groups on behalf of their their parent organization, an exiled radio station in Norway. That far away, this organization was giving me the funding and others the funding to help this group get the job done and to, and, and to get the footage that they needed. And, and now just to sort of fast forward the story, I mean, I, a few times in the heat of the crackdown, I, I was running for my life. I'd been caught not once but twice by soldiers with machine guns, was held at gunpoint, detained, Managed to act my way out of having them search my bags. Got thrown into a truck with other protesters. Oh. I, I, you know, it was it was an intense situation. I was quite certain. You know, I did see one unfortunately a colleague who I didn't even know. I'd never even had the the honor of meeting this man, a Japanese journalist who was shot in the back by um, by a soldier dragging on a cigarette and as he sort of advanced down the street shooting people, uh, dragging on a cigarette with flip-flops. So my students, two of my students and myself together, we had three different camera angles on this. And, um, and I didn't know what I was filming at the time. All I knew is that that's where I should train my camera. There was a man down on the street and, um, you know, you, you don't, understand the reality of a situation like this until many years later. You know, now it's been some seven years or six or seven years, actually seven now, and, and it still kind of trickles in little bits and memories and smells and sights and feelings and perceptions trickle in and, and kind of tell you, yeah, you know what, that was really intense. And that was uh, an experience that will continue to live with me and to, to sort of shape who I am. So that's huge. I mean,
2: so that's so huge. There's, there's so much to what you've said and it begins with bravery. I know that that's not really where it begins for you because it begins with a call to something, a call to action. But um, but for us listening, it's it, there's so much bravery woven into what you're doing. But you you do you get compelled and drawn in to something that you believe in and you've, you know, just to have those memories and to have contributed in that way is so tremendous. You've described the bond and I can feel the bond just by listening to you. It's an energy of your students and the video journalists who you know known as the Burma VJs and almost like a brotherhood. And so can you tell me I mean that certainly is a war story hearing, you know, that your camera is on someone down or watching someone get shot in the back. That's that's so relevant and it's so intense of how you decide to put your camera in that moment on that shot but it's a gutsy project you know what does this change your view to filmmaking and life when you there's a loyalty and a brotherhood and a bond and yet you still are out with such tremendous risk at every moment
3: it it, I think what happened with me, Lindsay, is that I, I came to see filmmaking as a vehicle for empowerment and as a vehicle for change um, because in this relative media blackout where the Western media were pretty much excluded uh, from from being able to cover this event, no, no visas were being given to journalists. We were able I should say my students in Democratic Voice of Burma in Oslo, the the TV station, uh, were able to get the footage that we were filming out to the world within sometimes the same day, even though Internet was locked down, was closed down, curfew was in place. And for not not for one week, but for two weeks, for, for almost three weeks, it was the Burma VJs, my students. Who were providing coverage of this unfolding event to the world, to the BBC, to every every ra- radio, not radio station, but TV station, and every continent of the world. It was very big news, and um, in that sense, you know, you go through these you go through these these war stories or these incredible life experiences with these this band of brothers, so to speak. And, uh, and it, does, it does change the way that you look at life. It changes the way that you look at filmmaking um, because there were, there were concrete results to this. And as a result, I really do believe many people's lives were, were spared because the military junta knew that there was a kind of a mirror effect, that what they were doing and what they might have been planning to do could not exactly take place without it shining right back onto them as a kind of a very ugly reflection. And um, if there hadn't been a history to this, if there hadn't have been huge massacres, some 19 years earlier, in 1989, there were, uh, there were or 1988, sorry, there were huge street protests similar to these, and they were even bigger. And at least 3,000 people, this is the conservative estimate, were slaughtered in the streets, and these were men and women. These were civilians who were peacefully protesting, and, and and some would be marching, and to their left or to their right, their 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 fellow students or fellow protesters would would be would be shot down by machine gun fire, and this was under the order of the then dictator. Oh. So yes, so if you can imagine that. It could, the estimates would put the people who had died during the time that I was there at some, somewhere greater than 100, somewhere less than 300. We'll never know the exact figures. The military dictatorship put the figures at, at below 100. Um, but if there, if there had been a complete media blackout, as there was in 1988, then, then who knows what the military could have done. And in relative... Obscurity to the rest of the world so so yes, filmmaking I came to see it in this instance as a pow- as a, a form of empowerment, as a vehicle for change and for changing the course of history um, absolutely
2: yeah, and you know what i 'm hearing is this so human suffering again it it, it really takes. It takes certain kinds of individuals to, uh, at this level. I, I encourage anyone to try to step into helping anyone suffer. But this is this is big stuff. So, So it's a big theme on what you've done in the work that you've done. And the subjects you've covered have focused mostly on social issues and dictatorships, defiance. You've worked with refugees. And, I mean, you fled burning villages with them. I mean... Who, you know who does that that's that's just unbelievable with only a shirt on their back so you're filming in war zone situations and along the way you've seen all of this suffering why do you think that you are drawn to these kind of stories
3: it's funny because you know i I was raised in a in a Christian tradition and and I used to you know we used to read the Bible a lot and um, and you know there was there was one saying that I remember that I was always drawn to. I, I think it was Christ who said it. I, I don't. I don't know anymore. I'm just. I'm kind of like <laughs> multi-religious at this point in my life. Uh, yeah. Like into the spiritual groove, but um, is that there's, you know, it's more. It's better to you know to go to be in the house of mourning than in the house of mirth. And I was always drawn to that. You know, why would it be better to be in the house of Morning. I mean, is, isn't is that kind of sad and isn't that kind of, uh, in a sense, negative? Um, and what I've taken, you know, I think from the theme of suffering in my life and in the lives of those that I've been able to interview and spend time with and to see and to actually train my camera on is that there is a real kind of primary life thing happening there. There's There's a an intimacy with, with life and with what really matters when you're sort of looking at death, when you're looking at the possibility that life isn't as infinite as our youth or our experiences might lead us to believe that it is. And, you know, I think that I kind of had to get that shit off my shoulder. I had to look at the suffering and go and confront it because I had a lot of suffering in, in my own life and my own upbringing, and I think that there was a lot of misinterpretation, the way that I interpreted, it, at least, uh, the religion at that point in my life, and I really wanted to go into the heart of suffering, I think, and this was the initial the, the initial motivation, first to anesthetize myself from my own suffering, so I could sort of kind of be a filter for suffering and maybe in the process toughen myself to it so that somehow I could become, you know, impervious to suffering and and wouldn't quite affect me so much. And so there's fear there, you know, there's fear of dying, there's fear of, not being strong enough. I'm
2: I'm hating to interrupt you. We're having to go to break. This is a really key point. Um, I want to come back to it. You've said some key things here that are very profound, actually. So we'll go to break and we will be right back. But please stay tuned, guys. We've got some really good stuff coming up. Be right back.
3: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America.
0: Have you learned how to play the money game? There are all kinds of rules when it comes to money. Should I spend it now or save it for the ultimate rainy day? If I make a tiny mistake now, will it really affect everything in the long term? For the answers, tune in to Cultivate Your Financial Health with Wayne Fireball. You'll come away from each show with a better understanding of the rules of money and how it sets up your future. Listen Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Pacific time with a replay Saturdays at 7 a.m. Pacific on
2: Voice America Variety.
0: Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice America TRN.
1: You are tuned in to Illuminating Now, Lindsay's Life Secrets. To connect with Lindsay or her guest, please call in to the show at 1-866-472-5788 That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to lindsay244 at sbcglobal.net. That's l-i-n-z-i-244 at sbcglobal.net. Now, back to Illuminating Now.
2: Hi, I'm Lindsay Levinson. I am your host here at Illuminating Now, Lindsay's Life Secrets. I am here with our guest today, Dean Adams, and Dean is a documentary filmmaker, and there's a lot to this individual. He is a leader in changing the world, which sounds really kind of big, but you know what? When you hear his story and you see what he's done, you'll realize I'm kind of minimizing it by just making a statement like that. He's He's been in the trenches. He's he's risked his life and he draws toward situations of suffering, but he's learning about that. And when we left off at break, we talked about that. I asked him, why, you know, why would you go into war zones? Why would you go where people are flooding, burning villages? Why would you go to where your knees are shaking? You're pretty sure you're not going to make it. And you're there with your camera. Why? And Dean talked about intimacy with life and that you know, suffering, you could be facing death, but how intimate is that moment with your life when you make those choices? I thought that was really profound when you said that, Dean. And you, you talk about, so is this making meaning of life for you then? Is that, is, is life means so much more when you're either helping another live through what could be life or death for them? Or, you know, are you aware in that moment that you might be changing life?
3: Well, in that moment, you know, you, you bring me back to the, the heat of the, this crackdown, of this military crackdown where we're, we're fleeing in every direction and um, we're being stormed by military vehicles. They're coming full speed toward the protesters, leaving the protesters no choice but to evacuate the middle of the street and to flood into the sides of the street and into apartment courtyards. And people were running over broken glass. They were losing their their shoes. They were being they were at risk of being trampled. They um, they were climbing fences. They were jumping over fences. I mean, it, it it was very intense. And I was in one of those. I I also fled into one of those courtyards. And then there was a stairwell leading up to apartments on higher floors. And the immediate tendency people didn't want to be shot. Uh, they didn 't want to be sprayed with machine gun fire was for everyone to converge on a very narrow doorway and to go up the stairs and There was such a mass of humanity uh, trying to get up these stairs that you almost your feet almost didn 't touch the ground you 're almost being kind of pushed up the stairs and being feeling very suffocated you know because there 's barely any air in there and a lot of human bodies and uh, and it 's monsoon season it's extremely tropical and humid and then the you know and then you hear soldiers coming into the courtyard and you see people are still trying to climb fences you hear gunshots you don't know if people have been shot and you're thinking okay this is it I'm definitely definitely not going to make it out of here alive I very strongly doubt that I'll make it out of here alive and then there's a calm the calm that comes over you that says well you know I mean that's if, if that's what it is then I have a choice. To over my emotions, I guess. I have a choice to be conscious uh, as, as much as I need to, as much as I can. And my instinct, of course, I had a camera, I just continued filming. And I continued uh, filming this until they evacuated the stairwell. And wow. Yeah, and, but in that moment, you don't really think too much about filmmaking you don't think to, you, your life really does flash before your eyes and you just you know you're, you're praying you're you know you're you're kind of making good with your creator but at the same time you have to be active you have to stay on your feet you have to remain uh, you are there's not that you have to just by the situation alone you you you're hyper in a state of hyper awareness hyper alertness right so yeah and you know you've been through you go through that with your buddies, and, you know, you got separated out on the street, one of my students, he jumped over a fence. I didn't know what had happened to him, you know, and, um, you, you, you think about all of these things, definitely. So, you know, I, I get transported back to that moment and think, yeah, that's definitely, that's a time where, you know, at least you thank your creator or you thank whatever good fortune you have to be kind of maybe this you're going out doing the thing that you love, which is holding a camera and and bearing witness to the courage of people who have to live in this situation day in and day out and ho- and, and, and hopefully uh, you did something to help them and and that's where it comes where you, where you just realize yeah we're all one as a humanity we right. whether you're American or you're Burmese or whether you're You're Buddhist or you're you're Muslim or or whatever. You're you're all in it together. If it happens to the least of us in this humanity, it happens to all of us, and and so there's a real kind of a unity that uh, that you feel at that moment. And yeah, it is traumatizing, and it does take years to process and to to make solid sense of it, so that you you can take this experience and and learn learn enough from it to, to share it in a meaningful way so that others can also benefit.
2: Well I hear you know I, I hear the teacher in you and again I realize years have passed and but but the choices you made then make it very clear the teacher in you it's so it's so vivid and you spent a good di- a good deal of time you know training others to make their own films. So when handheld broadcast quality cameras did come out, you were taking journalists and you were training them for the BBC, for Voice of America, for European stations. To, you wanted them to film and edit their own stories in that intimate way you're talking about. You know, what's happening in a moment without big cameras and boxy equipment and crews and all of that that it used to be um, necessary to have. And you ran these video journalism intensives in the refugee camps. You Trained these people and I want to know why do you think that you were called to train and empower others to tell their stories and why, you know, it feels like a theme because these are your students and even in the worst of times or when times are calm, there's a theme here where you draw to training people to give them the tools to tell their story. Why why is that a theme and am I getting that right?
3: Definitely. I I only know... uh, I only know how much I love to, to do this. Uh, for me, storytelling is, is just one of the most amazing things, whether, in whatever form. It just so happens that I was drawn to filmmaking, and, um, but, but storytelling can come in so many shapes and, and so many forms. But um, visual storytelling, for me, the wielding of, of light and sound and narrative and, and the weaving these together into a package, into an experience that others can view and live with, is just one of the most exciting things ever. I mean, it was exciting to me the first day, and it's exciting to me now. It was exciting to me when I realized that I had the opportunity in front of me to study it, to, to actually take advantage of advances in technology, to be able to go and do it in this very intimate way. And, um, and teaching that is a way of, of, of really kind of giving that excitement or to others of empowering them because it doesn't take much because we, we I've been in refugee camps with film aid international teaching refugee kids who had never even thought that they would be holding a video camera and making their own films. And we started with the very, very basics of storytelling and then ended up in tears at some of the films that they were Aww.
2: making.
3: It's it really special to see the, the the girl who was so shy and, and not confident at all sitting in the corner. And she was the, the script supervisor. So uh, So she was the one who was... Making sure that everything was being respected in the script, that we were following the script, scene by scene, and uh, and then all of a sudden she's wearing flowers in her hair, and she's you know she's just so she's really coming into this confidence and the right right on just so amazing to see. And then the guy who you know he was all you know gung ho at the beginning and full of excitement. Now you know he's yelling action, you know cameras <laughs> rolling. And, you know, and he's a director and he is just, you know, he knows that he's on to an opportunity to express himself. There's a freedom uh, to it. There's a freedom that comes with this kind of storytelling, with any kind of storytelling. But the freedom is sort of compounded by the fact that you have technology in your hands and, uh, and it's so immediate. It's so intimate. It's so visual. You can see it. You can, you can do everything except taste it practically. Right. And, and that's exciting. That is really, uh, that, you know, to see people go through that, it doesn't matter if they're refugees. It doesn't matter if they're seasoned journalists who've always gone out with the, the big cameras and, and the boom poles and all of the, the boxes and the lighting and everything else. And now they're doing it on their own. They're learning how to, you know, how to hold the camera. In their own hands, and then to edit this material on a laptop in their hotel room or wherever they are in in a border town and that's you know that's an exciting thing uh, we've you know we're really into that model now people well, are able to do this yeah
2: yeah i mean i you know I think when you talk about freedom and empowerment, which, of course, go together, um, you know, it's a sense of freedom. And then you say and empowerment. And, of course, to get empowerment, you've got to feel some freedom. You've got to feel like you've got some choice. Storytelling, I think, and even, you know, I really relate to it personally here on the radio, as I said, I'm not here each week. You know, I have 20 more stories. I probably could, I could probably bore my dis- my listeners to death. But you know, I have a lot of stories of my life. But what's really powerful, and what I'm witnessing myself, you know, from 2,000 to four to 10 to 20,000, you know, c- collaborative folks joining in in a community is to listen. Like I'm, I'm seeing what people want to hear is other people's. Stories of truth and stories of authenticity and stories of experience and stories of life. And 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 that allows other people in the world, anywhere in the world, to relate. You know, when you can relate to something that's really true, then you can start to then make it apply to your own life. And so I can really feel this and I can feel the growth within just individually, your own people. You're talking about, you know, lights, camera, action, you know, just they're proud, there is a story to tell, and they're proud they're in control of some of the pieces of how this is rolling out. So I'm really, I'm just getting the energy of it, and it's 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 so powerful to hear you describe it. And I wonder, in, in the last couple decades, you know, because now we can make high-quality films with these smartphones, we have all this technology that social media has, you know, presented where a filmmaker can... You know, every every film's a good film if you've got a good enough phone and megapixels and taking those shots. And so, what do you think about the future, the potential for the world we're living in when it comes to filmmaking? Um, you know, what is that a good thing? Not so good. What do you think?
3: I think it's a neutral thing, and then what I mean by this is were not a good thing because we were watching so much of it you know <laughs> you know some people some kids were watching seven eight hours a day and um you know were watching i think that was key were they watching masterpiece theater were, were they you know were they watching documentaries were they learning about the world and when when you look at it from that perspective the technology to express ourselves the freedom that we now have to make movies to um to really have an impact in the world in this way it's about perspective and it's about choice it's about what we do with it what are, are we going to do with it are we are we going to use it as a way to entertain ourselves more are we going to use it as a way to distract ourselves from the things that we should be focusing on or that we need to be focusing on in order to make our, our lives better, to make our communities better. And, you know, and that think, I think that really it depends on the individual, but it also depends on the movements that are emerging and that are seeing the potential of th- this freedom to tell our stories in visual form to, to really help in healing our planet and in transforming our planet in, in healing the world because we obviously have so much work in front of us and is there a way or what are the ways more specifically that we can take filmmaking whether it's with our smartphones or with these fancy applications that allow us to to do all sorts of things that we couldn't do before to take to take those tools and to take this wonderful tool of filmmaking and and to use it to positive effect and I do believe we're seeing that. We are seeing that. We're, we're seeing films that go viral. It's true that our attention span, obviously, we, we don't have a lot of time to watch long documentaries these days so much. But in one minute, we can communicate so much good. We can communicate so much information that's of value for the world in one or two minutes or three minutes. And some of these films if they're really linked up to an issue or they're really linked up to a need and enough people see them and are ready in themselves and and the culture has prepared masses of people to accept them and to share them through social media, then they go viral. And, And I think that's really what we need to do is to increase the content, the number of films that we're making, to decide to make as many of these films as possible in order to get the word out on what are the great innovative ideas of our time. What are the great creative ideas? Who are the characters? Who are the, the, the people who are finding solutions? How are they struggling to find them? What courage do they have to muster in order to invent uh, solutions to things, in order to approach transformation, in order to envision a different world in order to become part of the movement that uses film that uses social media that uses mass communication as we've never seen before on the level where it would actually it would actually have an impact on policy it would have a great influence on statecraft so that the old ways of doing things can be renewed and brought up to date with the real needs of people on the ground which is all of us in humanity. We look at Mother Earth. We look at the environment. We look at the social issues. We look at war and peace. All of these issues that, that really need positive, not Pollyannish, but positive messaging. Because right now, the messaging that we're getting, by and large, is driven by fear. And it's driven by profit. Um, we do need to get information, but a lot of it is so negative And the negative information, unfortunately, is the one that we know will sell. It's the one that we know we can sell. And we sit in our homes, we we sit in front of our, our breakfast cereal, we watch CNN, we watch whatever we're watching, and so little of the programming that we're seeing. It actually gives us information that we can use or that we can put toward a social media campaign that gets signatures that that brings uh... that brings movement on an international level that brings it on a state level right look, yeah so so i do think that I, I do think that it's neutral and it really is what we make of it um, and that more and more people through social enterprise through an emerging heart consciousness and a consciousness for stewardship of our world are coming Coming forth and are saying that you know we can use social media in conjunction with video in conjunction with pictures and sound and narrative in a way that is in fact very creative that's hyper creative and that has as its mission as its core central mission that has the goal of changing things and of, of really transforming our world
2: well, I think you know when you when you talk about Because we absolutely have the society where things have gone viral and things go fast. And we, you know, it's so true. Our attention span is reduced greatly by the way that things fly in and fly out of our face in technology or email or text or anything that's coming across. And at the same time, documentary has taken off. I, I, when I grew up, I mean, just the word documentary, it was like, oh, n- you know, now I don't really want to watch a documentary, you know. And now we are, while you say that it, and I totally agree with you, by the way, fear based, negative, you know, we draw into those stories, but we are a data desirous society. We, we do want data. We want it. We want to know things and documentaries. There's a whole, you know, there's a whole society now, a whole generation that kind of, that's why I say even a radio show like this, they want the real story. They want something authentic. They want the truth. Good movies are good movies. Good books are good books. But a true story that somebody really went through, you know, that's intriguing. And so you have written a quote that I took down. The documentary was once a luxury and craft reserved for the struggling artists and the independently wealthy, with few budgets and even fewer programming slots. But now it's an industry into itself, you know. So, what do you, what, what, why do you think you're so attracted to documentary, when you could be into news and radio and all those types of things? And I, I will say, we have, a, we don't have that much time. But tell me your take on that.
3: I think you know, documentary is just so immediate, and it's. Uh, as a, a teacher of mine once once put uh, a film director named Rob Nilson, it's living off the land, and he he makes narrative films, but that are very much informed by documentary. He 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 does a lot of rehearsing with the actors, and and what I mean by immediate is that it's the stuff that life gives you that's right here and right now, and maybe you didn't get a fancy set, but you've got a city street. You've got a back alleyway. You've got this or that person who's going through any number of struggles or triumphs. And, and you take what the land has given you, the lighting, the sound, and you see storylines in that. You see that the way all of these elements are coming together actually form into a, a film, into a story. And I, I find that very artistic. I yeah. find that extremely creative. Um, it's a different kind of creative than, let's say, you know, you have a narrative film and you create an elaborate set and it's titanic. And, you know, I mean, that's, you know, obviously there are great artists who are, who are working in scores and scores of people, like cities of people, to bring a big motion picture like that to, uh, to the screen. But... I, I find the challenge of working with real day, real actors in everyday situations to be so—it's uh, intimate. We'd used that word before, but really, there's no other word. It's—it's it's immediate, and it's there's so much to to actually know and to learn. There and is yeah. there's so much. I'm
2: cutting you off again because we're running out of time, and there's some logistics I must do to close this show. I am so glad you're coming back next week. I want the audience to know Dean is coming back next week because we're far from done with this. And, you know, it, it mortifies me to cut him off because I'm so interested myself, but um, we did not get to 10 hope films. We are going to get into that and dig into it a bit. We're going to talk about change in the world and how films even touch that statement. And, you know, saturation Is, is that true or not? And so we have some questions for Dean, but We do have to move into some logistics, so I want to just start right now and do a very quick thank you. And that's, you know, let you know, Dean, I so appreciate you being on today. Thank you.
3: Thank you so much, Lindsay.
2: You're welcome. And I know you'll stay with me for the last couple minutes here, but we did talk to Dean Adams today, a documentary filmmaker, and how he's making change through filmmaking, through social awareness, empathy. Lindsay's life secret, here it is. Suffering is about making meaning. There is always higher ground when you're at the lowest place you might be. So you gotta rise up. You might need to carry some people up with you, right? Because that's suffering. If suffering's happening, you need to stop. You need to breathe. You need to think about why you were chosen to experience suffering and what purpose you are to make of this experience. It may not be easy. Don't think for a second I'm making light of it or saying it's easy. But I promise you, it's possible if you think Why am I experiencing this? What is my purpose? And what do I do to take a step up from this low place that I am at this time? I'm also going to say telling your story. Telling any story can be exactly how suffering shifts to change. It might even shift to potential triumph. So as we get to the end of this show, I will say again, Dean will be with us next week. This has been really big stuff, but he's going to get more personal and talk about personal suffering that he had in his life, and he is going to get vulnerable, and it's precious that we listen to that. Please look at com. I think I got that right. I'm rushing, and I just say thank you for being here today. You are our listeners, and we greatly appreciate you. So please do tune in next week, and we really look forward to having you. Thanks again, and have a really powerful and pleasurable week. Thanks for
1: joining us for Illuminating Now, Lindsay's Life Secrets. Please join Lindsay Levinson again next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a terrific week.